This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 590 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Can't we get beyond Flashpoint? Blue and gold are in the black. There's a one-star arsonist. Astro City's up for another run. Witches and time travel. Black Hammer in the real world. And vote death in 2024. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, April 24th, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and you should subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher. And maybe give us an upvote on Facebook. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Flashpoint Beyond Zero by Johns Risso and Mulliville. We return to a universe that was supposedly kaput. Flashpoint was a 2011 DC event where the Barry Allen Flash goes into the past to stop his mother's murder and succeeds. Unfortunately, this creates an alternate reality where Bruce Wayne is murdered in Crime Alley, leaving Thomas to become a vicious Batman. The Amazons and the Atlanteans are at war, wiping out much of Europe. Superman is a prisoner of a government agency and is being experimented upon. Cyborg is Earth's main hero, and Barry never becomes the Flash. Now, this is all eventually undone, but it and results in the New 52. Through various events, the Thomas Wayne Batman winds up in the main DC universe, but is then killed by Darkseid. So, Flashpoint no longer exists, but now it does? We begin with Thomas sneaking around a Time Master's bunker, which includes a blackboard with the following references. 5G averted. History irrevocably damaged. Must travel beyond Omniverse. Fall of Justice League. Rise of... Dot, dot, dot. Beware, he'll find his son. Do not interfere. His daughter will rejoin the Justice Society to save it. There's also papers listing the layers of reality, Omniverse, Hypertime, Dark Multiverse, etc. Thomas is there with Mime and Marionette from Doomsday Clock, and they want him to get what he needs and get out of there. They find the artifact, Janie Slater's watch from Watchman, wrapped around a snow globe. Thomas also erases an entry on the board. Thomas Wayne will die. Flashback to Thomas waking up drunk at his casino. His aide Oswald warns him that Judge Dent is there. Dent threatens him so that Thomas will go speak to Gilda Dent at Arkham. In this reality, Martha Wayne became Joker, and we hear about all the things she did. Thomas goes to Bruce's grave to confirm that what is going on, then it's off to the cave where a news report reminds us of the main Flashpoint elements. He looks up Barry's address, 1956 Showcase Drive, apartment number four in Central City. Flash's first appearance was in Showcase number four, 1956. 
Thomas thinks that Eobard Thawne, the reverse Flash, is behind all this and sees everything matters on a blackboard. Everything matters? No, not here. Nothing matters here. Nothing matters! Cut to Barry, who's late for work. He lives a solitary life as a CSI. He's working on the clockwork killer murders, where victims' innards are somehow replaced by clock gears. The latest victim is a magician named Abracadabra. He goes to his office to find Thomas there. Thomas explains how things are supposed to be, and Barry thinks he's nuts. He also explains that only Barry can fix this, and to do so, has to become the Flash. Barry warns him to leave, and Thomas drugs him instead taking him to the roof of the casino. His plan? Strap Barry into an electric chair with chemicals all around him to use an oncoming storm to recreate his origin story. Instead, an arrow shoots through the chemicals at a critical moment, and Barry is fried to a crisp. There's an explosion at ground level which kills Dent, while Thomas saves Dent's son. Thomas finds an Atlantean soldier who shot the arrow. He was under orders to kill Thomas, but missed. The soldier says that both of them are killers and offers to work for Thomas. Instead, Thomas kills him. GCPD is investigating the explosion and wondering why Dent brought his son with him. Epilogue 1, the cops go to speak to Gilda at Arkham, but she refuses to speak to anyone but Thomas. Another patient, Hayden R., psychopirate, is very confused about what's going on. In Epilogue 2, on Earth Zero, Batman is doing some investigating of his own involving the levels of the DC continuity. Someone off screen is bugging him, noting him that the top level is called the Divine Continuum. DC, get it? It's Corky Baxter, the kid psychic of the Time Masters. Corky warns him that Dr. Hunter is coming for him. This is a classic Jeff Johns move. Pluck an incredibly obscure DC character from the past into a new story. Corky was introduced in a Time Master story in Showcase in 1959. This is a book that you either need access to the internet to constantly do research or have an encyclopedic knowledge of DC. This is not something for newbies. And Mark, is this leading into another series then? I don't really understand if it's going to lead or this is just going to be a cul-de-sac. I with with Johns, it's most likely will be the latter because Johns really isn't doing a lot of comic book work now. Well, I just object to it on in general, and if it is a series, I don't want you to get it. <laughs> Blue and Gold number eight of eight by Jurgen Sook and von Grabager, winding up this wacky mini series. We see that Blue and Gold Restoration is getting a lot of likes, uncovering a huge cache of paintings stolen by Rainbow Raider. $860 million worth of them. Now, I'm going to say here that I think they should have gotten some sort of a thing from the insurance company. Yep. Mm -hmm. They also found Bigfoot and discovered that the Loch Ness Monster was actually an alien. However, none of this is generating income. No, they should have gotten a finder's fee. (laughs) And their crowdfunding model is not working. So as Michael and Ted drive back, they are attacked by Buggles. He's under someone else's control. Buggles transports them to the Badlands so he can finish them off. There's a huge explosion set off by the Black Beetle. Now, we already knew he was the main bad guy, but the boys did not until now. He starts pontificating, as bad guys do, about how Michael is wasting his time travel abilities he could take over the multiverse. 
the boys do some exposition about Black Beetle, a future baddie who hates them for some reason. Could he be a future Jaime Reyes? We learn that Buggles was attacked by a virus carried by the current Jaime earlier in this storyline. Michael sends them all to prehistoric Earth, and when Black Beetle scoffs, Why would you think that you'd be able to imprison me in the past when you know I'm a time traveler? Michael explains this was just a delaying tactic. The boys blast Black Beetle and crack his helmet open. It's Michael? Turns out he's Michael from a different universe. Based on the references he makes, Power Ring, Ultraman, it must be Earth-3, although it's never mentioned. With Skeet's knowledge base, E3 Michael can take over the multiverse. But Ted rans him with a triceratops, knocking him into a tar pit. Earth-3 Michael is forced to retreat. Our booster says it's time to go home, but Ted asks, what's the hurry? They sit down and have a beer. Black at Blue and Gold HQ, Terry gives them the bad news. They're broke and in big debt. B&G must close down. Or maybe not. Out of the shadow comes Batman, who says that people need their services. He offers some help from a friend. $20 million from Bruce Wayne. And this happens prior to Bruce losing his fortune. Although, I don't know anything about Bruce losing his fortune, I think, because we're not reading Batman. Right, other than I know he's lost his fortune. I know that. You deserve it. Makes up for the Justice League voting you out in issue number one. They celebrate, and the last panel reads... Definitely not the end. Let's hope that is the case. One Star Squadron, number five of six by Russell, Lieber, and Stewart. It's the aftermath of the fire at the strip mall location of Heroes for You. It's a complete loss and definitely arson. Kara arrives to get her personal belongings. She was just fired, which makes her the main suspect. If you want to ask me any more questions, talk to my lawyer. Do you have a lawyer? No. And she drives off. Red and Kara are questioned, while the rest of the staff arrive at a temporary location, a restaurant called Beefer Bonkers. I thought I'd hit rock bottom when I started doing boat shows, but I stand corrected. Kara arrives, and they all assume she did it. Red knows she didn't. Flashback to Red checking in at Dolphin Cove, where Joe Delgado, gangbuster, was living. The manager there tells him that Delgado is quiet too quiet. There's rage that's going to come out sometime. Red tells the police to find Delgado, and the detective says they need to tell him something. Meanwhile, Kara is distraught, finally throwing herself into heroism, saving people from a fire that results in a gas stove exploding. How can we ever repay you? Convert to electric. Red returns to the remains of Heroes for You, only to find Minuteman there. He assumes the company will rebuild using the insurance money, but they decided to pocket the money instead. Minuteman confesses. He did it. Remember his last job at Metropolis Seashells and Nautical Supply? Turns out that was a shell company. Get it? Get it? For Lex Luthor. He used it to buy Heroes for You to get access to their hero records. He gave Minuteman some Miraclo as a payoff to get those records. He couldn't do it, so he torched it instead. Red tells him they found Delgado's body among the remains. He had returned there to hide. Red tells Minuteman to run and gives him the money out of the safe in the rubble that he was given to pay off the staff. And that was the last thing I ever said to him. To be concluded. Astro City, that was then special from Image by Busiek, Anderson, Ross, Sinclair, and Comicraft. 
The band is back together with a reportedly new series of books under the original publisher. Astro City is a gateway comic for new readers, a DC Marvel pastiche with plenty of references for longtime comic readers, but really focusing on the private lives of both heroes and civilians. This special introduces us to a group of teen heroes with a major nod to the Teen Titans, not to mention a callback to the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, hard-traveling heroes saga. It's the late 60s. Meet Bugle Boy and Majorette, Sunshrike, Rivets, the robot kid, and Rally, all sidekicks. They're on a road trip, their last before they have to grow up. That trip turned into various adventures. It all started at a wake for another teen group, the Jayhawks, wiped out in a magical battle. Rally was the only survivor of that group sent off to get help. There was talk of the government outlawing teen heroes. Rally and a few others didn't want to go back to their regular lives yet, hence the road trip. Around a campfire, they discussed the future. Should they leave the business? Get new code names? Supersonic drops in to see how they're doing. The kids thought they were on their own, but they were being closely monitored by their mentors. Later, Samaritan is troubled. Things are getting darker. As he ruminates, he's being watched by the ghosts of the Jayhawks. Busiak follows this up with a long letter to the fans explaining what has happened with the title and plans going forward. Those plans are a little vague. There's another project that comes first, there's always another project, and then the team will roll right into the next phase of Astro City. Not holding my breath for that. No, but if it comes out, we'll buy it. We'll buy it. Just do it. Guilt, or G-I-L-T, number one from Ahoy Comics by Quitney and Morissette. We haven't yet hit a clunker from Ahoy, and this title continues the trend. It's a witchy time travel tale. In 1973, Hildy is having second thoughts about going through with the wedding on the way to the ceremony. She's got a mod pantsuit with a long veil, and a kid on the street is impressed. You look like a dream of Jeannie where Jeannie finally gets to marry the astronaut guy. A cab drives by and splashes a puddle all over her. In 2017, a social worker, Trista, is just arriving at a large hotel. The doorman extols her about the Baroque nature of the place and its tenant. She's there to see Mrs. Winters, who needs home health care. She was hired by the nephew. A neighbor is emphatic about the need for Winters' apartment to be cleaned. Winters lets Trista in, and they talk about her shared careers in journalism back in the Dark Ages when people used to read. Winters warns Trista to stay out of the kitchen, then lets her answer a confirming call from her agency. Trista hears a fall and finds Winters in the kitchen, who tells her to leave. I got things to do and not a lot of time left to do them. Unfortunately, Winter's ankle is sprained and she has to let Trista into her confidence. She's a practicing witch and needs help completing a spell. Winter's notices Trista's fancy shoes, an ex-boyfriend got them for her, and she sacrifices the shoes by stabbing one as part of the spell. Trista threatens to leave and goes into Winter's bedroom only to find a photo of herself from 1973. She finds Winter's crawling through a doorway In 1973, my ankle is fine, and they fall down a flight of stairs, only to find themselves back in 1973, de-aged to that time. Winters is Hildy, about to get married. Trista is the girl who complimented her. Hildy, what's happening? Oy vey, you're really not supposed to be here. 
It was an interesting story. Black Hammer Reborn, number 11 from Dark Horse by Lemire, Yarsky, Stewart, and Picos. We're back to Lucy's home where Colonel Weird takes out her family. Then we're in the country as we see her husband and daughter falling through a warp to the ground. They argue, and she learns about him being supervillain Lightning Rod, just like a few weeks a long time ago. They need to find Joe, Lucy's son, who we know is with Insector Detector. They walk into town and find a diner. The hostess tells her they are in Rockwood and that she's never heard of Spiral City. They leave, and a man follows them out. It's Abe. When Abe tells the husband to keep his voice down, he replies that he's Lucy's husband and explains how they got there. Abe realizes that everything is about to fall apart, and the hostess comes out, Abe's wife. They are not at the farm, the place Dragonfly created in the original title. It's not a parallel Earth and appears to be our own world. Heroes don't exist, and we see a series of historical shots. Abe offers to take them to his home and promises to find the boy. We also learn that when Dragonfly did all this, she also did some things to us to make us all a bit, well, a bit more content than we were the first time around. And that includes making Gale and Sherlock unaware they were ever heroes. And Abe wants to keep it that way. They are now his kids. I think his grandkids. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right, grandkids. After they arrive at his home, there's a noise nearby, and they go to investigate. It's Insector and Joe, who we saw come through a portal last issue. Now, they need to keep all of this a secret, which is difficult when a police car comes by. To be concluded. I'm really liking where this is going. I Mm -hmm. think it's good. I'm glad that the family didn't die. Yeah. Which is what Black Hammer thinks. Lucy, but we'll see. Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Death, number six of six from Ahoy Comics by Shermer, Kelly, Constant, Lucas, Wilson, Bag, Hamilton, Carfaro, and Matisse. Putting the D in D.C. shows what happens when, due to a large write-in vote, Death becomes President of the United States. Death proceeds to create programs to kill as many people as possible, and the people love it. Eventually, Death gets tired of it all. He assumes he'll lose in the next election, but is told he's the most popular president ever. And when can we expect there'll be a Mrs. Death, says a reporter. Silence, a fable, sees Poe trying to find some peace and quiet to the point where he creates a liqueur from his own blood so he doesn't have to leave his room. A demoness takes him to the future where everyone's social media ensures there is never silence. The demoness finally sends him into a void and then he wakes up. This is the last issue of the series, but it has resurfaced before. Announcer Bot how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.